Thank you for listening to a Christ-centered message from Grace Community Church. We are committed to proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology and trust that you will receive encouragement as we study today's passage together. Let's go in our Bibles together. We're going to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5, and today we're going to be in verse 5. As we are looking at Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, today's title of the message is Gentle Giants. Probably not going to be the next name for an expansion team in the NFL. Ladies and gentlemen, you know, put your hands together for the Gentle Giants. Probably not looking at uh, sheep, you know, for the next, you know, the lambs. Now facing, you know, the bears today versus the lambs. Probably not going to be a high pick for, for a possible team. You know, who do you play for? I play for the lambs. Oh, that's great. That's exciting. What are we? We are, as Jesus says, lambs among wolves. So if we're honest now, this message today is going to do what the song Ocean says. It takes our feet where we can't walk. It takes us deeper. And in this message, we see that this Sermon of the Mount comes true. It's for those who know and admit, I can't do this. I can't. I need God's mercy. James Montgomery Boyce said, Christ's statements are intended to teach, among other things, that the kind of life he requires actually is impossible for men. That as human beings, when it comes to the holiness of God and the life that he requires for us, we're going to do in wrestling, tap out. I can't. And we fall on him. And he lives through us. To be meek is to be in the world, as the Bible says, and not of it. This sermon will expose room in each of our hearts and lives and minds where we need to grow for the glory of God and for our good and the good of those around us. This is a description of the upside-down life, the person who's been born again, the person who recognizes, confesses, Jesus, you are my king. Then we are in God's kingdom. We've been driven by our need for God's mercy, and we have been born again. And he is putting together a people, and we begin to share the family characteristics, and that is what we see in the Beatitudes. These individuals who are living counterculture. So let's go back to the mountain. Now, we don't have to go outside today and get rained on, so that's a good thing. But let's go to the mountain and let's hear the word of our king. Let's receive the message of the king together this morning. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 1 begins seeing the crowds. He went up on the mountain and when he sat down, his disciples came to him and he taught them saying, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the what? Kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be, what? Comforted. Today's text, blessed are the meek, for they shall, what's the promise? Inherit the earth. 
This is the word of God. So again, who are the blessed? Okay, the blessed. These are the individuals, citizens of the kingdom. They're disciples. Their chief delight is God. A few weeks back, we said, what do you put in that blank? If I just had this, then I would be okay. Then I would be content. Then I would be happy. Then I would be fulfilled. If I just had this, and what have we been saying and we'll keep saying, if it's anything other than God, then you're subject and you will lose it in time. It's not enough. It cannot bear the weight of your soul. We are those who are truly blessed. So this morning, our, I want to lay this out. Okay, this is what we want to see in Scripture. The disciple of Jesus will be characterized by meekness. And I'm going to do my dead level best to prove that from Scripture. That what Jesus is teaching here will actually come out in our lives that the disciple of Jesus Christ will in fact be characterized by meekness. Now, this is how a believer thinks about themselves. We saw when we say, I am poor in spirit. That's a confession. That's what we say. I need mercy. Then we saw last week when we mourn over our sin, this is how we feel. Now, when we look at verse 5, this is how we think. This is our thought process. So this morning, first of all, let's look at the explanation of the meek. All right, What does it actually mean to be meek? I've been asking people this question this week. What, 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 is it, what do you think it means to be meek? It's a word we don't talk about a lot. Let's start off in the negative first, all right? Let's define what it is not. By defining it negatively, meekness is not an attitude of or a, a rhyming word, weakness, okay? It sounds like you're saying, are we weak? Blessed are the weak. Wait a second. That doesn't sound right. It's not. It's not weakness. It's not cowardice. That's not what meekness is. Meekness is not an attitude of being spineless, a pushover. Hey, I thought you Christians were supposed to be meek. Why, why are you taking a stand? Why don't you just let everybody do whatever they want to do and you just roll over? That's not meekness. Jesus didn't do that. Someone who is spiritless or we might say apathetic. It is not an attitude of apathy. That's not meekness. Oh, I don't care, you know, whatever. Not my problem. Not my concern. You know, neighbors are having this, that. No, well, not my problem. I'm just going to stay out of everybody's business. No, that's, that's not meekness. So positively then, let's look at the positive. Meekness is an attitude of, and here's where we come to this word, gentleness. The Greek word is praus, right? Praus. You were saying that on your way into church today, right? No, nor was I, okay? It's a quiet confidence that is rooted and grounded in a deep trust in the Lord. There's a settledness, there's a gentleness that all through the Old Testament, you see the difference of individuals, those who wait on the Lord and those who take matters into their own hands. Gentleness, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They, who are they? They who wait for the Lord shall mount up with wings like eagles. Those who wait for the Lord shall run and not be weary. Those who wait for the Lord shall walk and not faint. So we wait on the Lord. 
Psalm 130, verse 5 says, the psalmist, I wait for the Lord. And he's not just going through the external motions. Okay? Like the kid that got in trouble. Parents said, you need to sit down. Sit down. You need to sit down. Fine. And they sat down, and then they responded to their parent. I just want you to know, I'm sitting on the outside, but I'm standing on the inside. Okay, the psalmist says, I wait for the Lord, but this is internally as well. My soul waits, and in his word, I hope. So we wait for the Lord. Sinclair Ferguson gives a helpful explanation. He says, the word, meekness, is notoriously difficult to define. It is certainly not a lack of backbone, Rather, it is the humble strength that belongs to the man who has learned to submit to, get ready for it now, difficulties. Difficult experiences, and I'm sure no one here has anybody in your life that is a difficult person, difficult people. Uh-huh. He's learned to submit to difficulties knowing that in everything, In everything, God is working for his good. Does that describe you? Does that describe me? Gentleness. Also, it's submission. Meekness is an attitude of gentleness. Meekness is an attitude of submission. This is strength under control. This is is like a wild beast that's under the control of a trainer or a master. A disciple of Christ will bear the fruit, fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5.22, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. There it is. Praus, gentleness, and self-control. Now, when I think about this, I think about just these massive horses, just a big Clydesdale horse, all that strength. Or a Pergeron. They even, they're even stronger. The guy told me on Mackinac Island. He's like, I don't know. Clydesdales, you know why you got to have so many pulling the Budweiser vehicle? Because they're not strong. Pergerons, those are strong horses. But what is this strong, tamed animal that allows the owner to put the harness on, to put the bit in the mouth, and then that big, massive, strong beast comes under the control of two leather straps? unless you're me. And I've told you about this before in Illinois, going over to the guy's house, they had horses and Nathan leading the charge says, Brother Brian, get on the horse. You can ride the horse. I got on the horse. The horse took me straight into the tree. They're like, get off the horse. Then he gets on that. I think it was a mule. He gets on there and he stands up. He puts the reins in his teeth. It's like, what? Well, what's the problem? Why couldn't you do this? And he goes around the yard like he's in a circus, standing up on the saddle with controlling the horse with the reins in his mouth show off. I haven't forgotten this from this day, okay? They put me on the old horse that was, I think, nigh unto close to kicking the bucket. They're like, go on that one. It's not going to run away. It might make it to the end of our little route that we're going to go on. And they put me on that one. I was talking to uh, Lola about this, and she said, well, if I think of meekness, I think about a crocodile. And you think about a crocodile mama, 
and you got the little baby crocodiles and that mama crocodile comes over with that big, powerful mouth and the jaws and just grabs them little babies and puts them over here and over there and just moves them and just so delicate. It's all that strength brought under control, moving the little babies. Nope, don't go over there and puts them over here and in the mouth. And then you would make a huge mistake to say, oh, look how nice this crocodile is. This must be a weak beast. Oh, hi, Mrs. Crocodile. You're going to lose your arm and probably more. That's not weakness. It's meekness. It's strength under control. I think about some of these big dogs, strong, loud massive dogs. You hear them and they, they'd tear you up if you step on the property. And then their owners bring home a baby. And that baby grows up to be a toddler. And that toddler just sits right next to that big old dog and pokes it in the eye and messes with its face. And it just sits there and takes it because that's mine. It's not because that animal is weak. That's meekness. I've got all the strength, but I'll protect you and we got a relationship here, and you can do whatever you want to my face, and I'm here, and that baby can slobber on that dog and lay all over that dog and ride that dog like a horse, and that dog is strong but under control. Let that help us understand what the word meekness is talking about. There's a perseverance, the attitude that helps us understand what is meekness. There's a perseverance under pressure, under trials, under testing, waiting on the Lord instead of taking matters into our own hands, that we as believers, as citizens of God's kingdom, we hear what Paul said and we take it to heart, Romans 12, 19. Beloved, my loved ones, loved ones in the Lord, Never avenge yourselves. Ouch. But leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Proverbs 20, verse 22 says, Do not say, I will repay evil. Wait for the Lord, and he will deliver you. Now that's really easy to do, right? When somebody says something ill about you, bad about you, untrue about you, and you just respond so quickly, I will wait for the Lord. Okay, probably not. The, the need for meekness meter going off yet in us, huh? Yeah, it has been in me all week. Thanks a lot, right? So let's look by way of contrast now. What is, we've seen the negative, this is not an attitude, what is not an attitude of, positive. Now, contrast. Meekness is countercultural, okay? So those who are meek, they're going to stand out. They're going to be radically different. This is living life upside down. If you want to look at the opposite of meekness, just watch almost every political ad right now, okay? Now we've resorted to, if you vote for my opponent, you will die the worst possible death you can ever imagine. But if you vote for me, You'll have every dream come true. You know, it's like, are you kidding me? I mean, we're we're talking about election here um, and elections and politics. We're not talking about who is on the throne of heaven. So we got to have a little posture about us, right? Well, we think about this. If we're going to contrast meekness with our culture, meekness is not rudeness. 
It's not being rude. And then someone says, and they're rude, they say, well, that's just how I am. As if it's a badge of honor not to be repented of, but that's just how I am. I just say what's on my mind. I just keep it real. You know, I took that personality test that came back with the initials a pastor I listened to says, J-E-R-K, that's my initials. So that's just who I am, deal with it. Okay, that's not meekness. Meekness is not being brash. No concern for how other people might feel. No, that's not, that's not what meekness is. It is the opposite of being rude. It's the opposite of being brash. It is the opposite of being harsh in treatment of others, whether it be through words or looks. How we look at someone. It's the opposite of being unkind. If someone doesn't get their way, if a relationship doesn't work out, the promotion doesn't work out, the advancement, the whatever they just turn, if they don't get their way in in any number of areas, then they just go mean. They turn nasty. They just throw a fit sometimes extending even into adulthood, an adult temper tantrum. They didn't get their way. It's the opposite of being cutthroat. Okay, this is prized in the world we live in. Somebody's there, they say it this way, they're a real go-getter. They're gonna win at all costs. They'll just step on whoever they need to step on and they're, gonna, they're aggressive and, and we're gonna get them in our organization and our organization's gonna advance because we have this person and they don't care who they step on. Now that's admired in the world system. It's rejected in God's economy, in his household for his family members. The person that is self-serving or forward, they're self-assertive and self-promoting. They come into the room and they pick the best seat. They, they choose it all out. Everything is around them. You know, they take the, the worship song and they rewrite it. It's all about me instead of it's all about you. And if you offend them, they'll quit you. That is not meekness. So with the explanation given. Now let's look at an examination, all right? We always love the examinations, right? No, but we need to. Examination of the meek. Who are the meek and what are they like? Jesus said, blessed are the meek. So if you say, well, do I want to be blessed? Am I a person who is blessed? Well, then I better find out what this is. The meek individual, the meek group of people prioritize humility. Why? Because they're citizens of God's kingdom. They prioritize humility. And as we saw in the first beatitude, these individuals, they've confessed their spiritual bankruptcy. We are poor in spirit. I am poor in spirit. These individuals have confessed. They have admitted, I am spiritually delinquent and I mourn over my sin. I feel awful about my sin. And they become known as those who are meek, those who are the gentle giants because they're empty, they're broken. But listen, these individuals, these gentle giants, they will defend others. They will defend the gospel. They will do anything in their power to defend and fight for the unity of the body of Christ. But they will not fight for their own name and their own reputation. 
because they've already died to that in Christ. You hear the difference? It's knowing when to fight and what to fight for and knowing when to just turn that over and wait on the Lord and let him fight that battle. And you take those matters in prayer. Listen to what Barclay says. He says, blessed is the man who is always angry at the right time and never angry at the wrong time. I wish I could tell you that. If you're wondering what that looks like, then look no further. You're a pastor. My family would be like, no, no, probably not. Uh, one of my kids told me that, that uh, there's a, a gotcha video going, on, video going on right now where the family puts a, puts a picture, an image on a large screen TV of a broken TV. And then they make a sound like something breaking and then they, the dad comes running in the room and they're videoing his response. Now, I wish I could tell you I would come in and, you know, if I knew somebody was recording me and it was, it was just, we're going to put this out for everybody, you know, come in and like, oh, you know, that's okay. It's just a thing. And you are a person and you're so much more important than things. But sadly, I probably wouldn't respond that way what are you doing? And why are you playing with that in this room? And haven't I told you how many times? And oh, you're recording me. Oh, that's wonderful. That's great. Meekness. The meek welcome honesty. They prioritize humility. The meek individual welcomes honesty. There's no hiding here. Now, this is where it starts to, it really, it gets under my skin. It gets under your skin, this teaching. When we start understanding what Jesus is talking about, blessed are the meek. And we're asking the question, is that me? Am I a meek person? Because here's the reality. When we welcome honesty, now it's one thing for me to admit my faults. I've said it before, probably several times, Vody Bacham, the worst thing that you know about me, I can guarantee you is not the worst thing. I can say that, it can roll off my lips. I, I helped put together our confession, our statement of faith that says we're all sinners. I can tell you I'm a sinner. But when you start telling me I'm a sinner, I got this little instinct in me, it's like a rattlesnake. Starts going off, like you just threatened me, you just messing with me, you're in my space. I can tell you my faults, but if you say, hey, can, you don't mind if I tell you your faults? Like, hang on a second, who made you judge over me? This is when meekness, meekness isn't something I say about myself. I just want you to know I've written a book on how meek I am, and you can pick that up, and I've declared myself, I am meek. No, you're not. You're arrogant. Wait a second, then how do we know about this? Paul David Tripp talks about the, the internal lawyer that we all have when somebody says, hey, hey, did you, did you leave this area in the house a mess? Oh, no, 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 it wasn't me, it was them. Hey, did you remember that we said this? Or All these things, and we immediately, that inner lawyer, like, no, 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 you did that. You said that first. It was you, it wasn't me. It was your fault. That goes all the way back to Genesis chapter three in the garden. We go into... All of this, I'm going to defend myself and understand a requirement for the man of God is gentleness in 1 Timothy 6. Now, beloved, I wish that I could tell you in every church leadership meeting and every time I've had interactions with people when something has gone sideways that I've responded with meekness and gentleness. The fact is, I haven't. I've blown it. 
And when I see this and I'm listening, so then when other people are weighing in, how do I receive that? First of all, there's God's assessment. If I'm going to welcome honesty, well, what does he say about me? If I'm meek, I'm welcoming what God says. I, I want to know what God's word says. I, I'm in God's word. I'm meditating on God's word because I want to know, am I right with God or am I out of alignment with God? Vertically, it's got to be right first. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he says this way, he says, the man who is truly meek is the one who is truly amazed that God and man can think of him as well as they do and treat him as well as they do. Do you hear the humility in that statement? That if I truly am amazed that you think as good of me as you do, instead of you ought to, you owe me. I mean, if you only knew how great I am, but that's not true. The only thing good about me is Jesus. I've said that. But what if you come up to me and you say, hey, pastor, I just want to let you know the only thing good about you is Jesus. Hey, come on. James Montgomery Boyce, he says it, and he's talking about meekness. Meekness is the characteristic that makes a man bow before God in order that he may stand high before other men. It makes him bold because he knows that his life has been touched by God and that he comes as God's messenger. I pray, and I want you to pray for me and with me, that that is the tone that sermons are delivered. God has touched my life, and I want him to use me to impact and touch other lives. And as you go, that you are able to say, God has He's touched my life. God, use me to touch the lives wherever I go of other people. God's assessment, now that's one thing. But then there's the perspective. This is the horizontal of the godly. This is sought after by the meek person. It's prized by them. Only the meek individual will pray with the psalmist, Psalm 141 and verse 5. Let a righteous man strike me. It is a kindness. Let him rebuke me. It is oil for my head. Let my head not refuse it. Now listen, beloved, all opinions are not equal. I don't listen to everybody in the same realm, not with the same weight. The psalmist said, let a righteous man strike me. When someone is coming to me, bringing me the assessment of God, a righteous person, a meek person says, I'm going to humble myself. I'm going to zip my lips a little bit. I'm going to be quiet. I'm going to listen to you. I'm going to weigh out what you are saying because I know you. I trust you. I'm living life with you. I understand the perspective that you're coming from. And so I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt because I've watched your life and I want you to speak into my life. Do you have those kind of people in your life. Now, the last thing, in case you're thinking, well, so now everybody's going to be running around saying, here I am, and I'm going to go striking people, and, and I'm going to see if they take it as kindness or not. I'm going to be the personal designated individual of Grace Community Church. I'm going to find out this right here, number one, number two, the tests of meekness. I'm going to find out if you're meek afterwards. Bam! And if you smack me, see, you're not meek. That's my job. I'm going to find out. Now, listen, 
If a meek person is truly meek, if a person is meek, they're going to be busy dealing with the own issues, their own issues in their life. They're not running around. They don't have time to go find everybody else and judging everybody else and getting into everybody else's issues. They're dealing, first of all, with their own issues. And at times, it comes where they are to help somebody else dealing with, struggling with a, an area of sin. And they'll take to heart Galatians 6.1, where Paul says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of, here's that root word again, praus, gentleness. Well, why? Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. How do you want people to deal with you? It's not loving to leave someone in sin and not say anything to them. That's passive. That's apathetic. That's I'm not concerned with you. That's not meekness. That is weakness to just leave somebody in sin and not say anything because I don't want to really hurt our relationship. Yeah, but what about their relationship with God? Are you concerned about that at all? Meekness is, and meekness under the spirit of gentleness going in and ministering to others. Sinclair Ferguson says it this way, the meek man is the one who has stood before God's judgment and abdicated all his supposed rights. He has learned in gratitude for God's grace to submit himself to the Lord and to be gentle with sinners. I wish I could tell you that I've always been gentle with sinners. No. Oh, I want everybody to treat me with gentleness. But I've not always been gentle with others. I've not always done well at putting myself in somebody else's situation and, and thinking of things from their perspective. So then how do we test this out? If we're not running around just like, I'm going to find out if you're meek or not, how do we find out where are we in meekness? I'm glad you asked. I'm going to give you the answer. A life of meekness will never, listen to me, never be cultivated in isolation. If you are living, you say, I, I thank the Lord. I'm saved. I belong to Christ. I know him. But you're not walking in Christian community. You'll never know if you're meek or not because nobody knows you, not the real you. Walking in, walking out, it's wonderful coming in and out of church. But if you are not walking in Christian community, nobody knows the real you. And God has given you a place to walk with other individuals that they will know the good side of you and the bad side of you. And you will know the good side of people and the bad side of the people. And you'll stick it out with each other. And for the glory of God, you'll serve and I'll serve one another and we'll walk through life together. It's the church. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he says it this way. Here is blessed, blessed are the meek. Here is where we are reaching a point at which we begin to be concerned about other people. It is to allow other people to put the searchlight upon me instead of my doing it myself. How does that hit you? Do you let other people around you put the searchlight of God's word to you in love 
in a right way, gently? Do you welcome that or do you reject that? Do you run from that? You won't know how you respond to that without ever getting in there and walking with people. Without ever taking these messages and applying them and talking about them and working them out in the context of Christian relationships, you won't know. It'd be untested. The last thing you want is something untested. If you're in building, if you're in construction, you want to test the soil. It's important. You got to know what the soil, what is the, what are the terms of the foundation, the footings? We got to have it right. I was hearing, I was listening to something. They were building a bridge and I can't remember exactly where it was. They kept coming back and it was a marsh. They would come back and everything they had done was sunk out of sight, gone. They would come back after the weekend and equipment had sunken out of sight, gone. We lost our excavator. We lost our bulldozers because of the, the conditions of the marsh. That's challenging. How will we find out? I mean, does it matter if we're meek or not? It does. The place for brothers to dwell together in unity is, listen to me, the church. This is where we gather, we worship, we walk, we work together under the headship of Jesus Christ, our King. And this place specifically for our church is in small group ministry. It's where we get to know one another and we live life together and we share in this life and we encourage, we give and receive encouragement. If you live in isolation, you'll never know. You'll never know. And I want to call you obediently out of isolation into Christian community. The meek view their lives in the light of biblical history. So it's not all about me. It's not all about us. We look back through the scriptures at biblical examples, and then we see ourselves. We see our story in the grand panoramic view of God's story of redemption. And we look back to a guy like Moses. He would be God's chosen deliverer. But what, how'd that start out? Raised in Pharaoh's palace till 40, and he was going to deliver the people his way. How'd that go? He failed miserably. Then he goes out into the wilderness for the 40-year shepherd school, hanging out with sheep. And then the Lord comes, meets with him, and says, I'm ready. You're ready. I want you to, I, I've heard the cry of my people. Moses, go get my people. And Moses delivered them. And then 40 years, they're in the wilderness. And how did that go for Pharaoh or for Moses? He was mocked. He was rejected by Pharaoh. He was criticized and maligned by the elders of Israel. He was scolded by his brother and sister, Aaron and Miriam. He was disobeyed by the nation, except for Joshua and Caleb. Well, what's God's assessment of Moses? Numbers 12, verse 3. Now the man Moses was very meek, more than all people who were on the face of the earth. Strength under control. We think about David. David was God's chosen king. You're going to lead my people. He rejected Saul before him. But David, he was overlooked by his father, Jesse, and even Samuel as a boy. You got any other sons? I got one more scrapper out there with the sheep, but you really, I mean, do we really got to send somebody out for him? Yeah, yeah, we shouldn't look on the outward appearance. God searches the heart. He was mocked by his brothers. He was hated by King Saul as a young man. Saul tried to kill him on multiple occasions. It was the Lord that came knocking his way. 
He didn't get that for himself. The Lord brought that temporarily after he was king. Absalom, his son, came, stole the heart of the people, stole the kingdom from his father. And in in 2 Samuel 16, I'm not gonna take the time to read this this morning, but in 2 Samuel 16, David is leaving the city and we have two accounts. Mephibosheth was Jonathan's son, Saul's grandson. And Mephibosheth didn't go with David and David is, is wondering, where are you and all that I've done? And I, I could have killed you, but I showed you kindness. You ate at my table and you're not going with me. You're staying in the city. That hurt him. Then you have Shimei, another descendant of the tribe of Benjamin. And there he is across the way, and he's cursing at David, and he's shouting at David, and he's mocking David, and he's throwing stones at David, verbally, physically assaulting the king who's on the run from his own son. And David's men are saying, um, you're still the king. Can we go kill that guy? How long are you going to let him talk like that about you? And David says, if the Lord has given him breath, and I'm paraphrasing, if the Lord is allowing him to curse me, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take my confidence in the Lord, and I'm going to let the Lord deal with him. That's what it is to wait on the Lord. And eventually, you read the story, the Lord did deal with Shimei. Because Shimei was going against the anointed of the Lord. Our greatest example is Jesus. Jesus was maligned by the religious leaders. He was betrayed by Judas. He was brought before Pilate and Herod. And did we hear him saying, do you know who I am? What's the matter with you people? And did he call the angels to come defend his cause? No. He could have defended his own cause without the angels. But as Isaiah the prophet foretold in Isaiah 53, 7, Jesus was oppressed. The suffering servant was afflicted. And yet, here's his response. Beloved, he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that is before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Does that sound like you and me when we're wronged? Oh, when our political party might be in in threat. Does that sound like us? Jesus' only self-description of his virtue is found in what was our call to worship today in Matthew 11. And he said this, Come to me, all all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am, here's the word, praus, I'm meek, I'm gentle, and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Well, why? How do we find rest? For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Why? Why is, when we're joined with Jesus, when we're brought into this union with Jesus, why is it that our burden is easy. How does that happen? Because he bore our burden and he bears us. It's not a 50-50 deal. It's not a 90-10. 
He bore the weight of God's wrath and our sin on the cross. He died, he was buried, he rose again. And he says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest for your souls. How is he able to do this? Because the greatest of all became the meekest, gentle, lowly in heart. And he submitted to death, even the death of the cross. So we've seen this meekness explained and examined. Now let's look at the expectation of the meek. There's a promise that Jesus gives to the meek, and we want to know what it is. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. What does this mean to inherit the earth? Is this, this is the spot, pastor, where you're going to tell us that if I'm in Jesus and I'm meek, I get everything I want, a new car, a new house, you name it, you claim it. And if you've got the faith, it's going to all happen because God owes you. No, no. And no, again, the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel has nothing to do with the genuine, genuine saving gospel of Christ. But there's a promise here, and we want to rightly understand. What is Jesus talking about? Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. The meek, beloved, have been given a present peace. There's a confidence that we have. There's a settledness that we have. We've been given a peace that's right here and right now. Because in Christ, the believer has everything that they need and will ever need. We have Christ. For those or anyone who has not yet trusted in Christ, he's available to you, for you today. Turn from your sin and say, Lord, I come to you. I turn from my sin. I trust in you. Have mercy on me. And he will save you. He will adopt you. He will take you into his family. The believer, the meek individual has been given a present peace. They're centered in God's word. How does this conversion happen? It's from the inside out. James 1.21, the half-brother of Jesus wrote, he said, therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. Okay, that's, that's what conversion is. Admit sin, confess sin, put it away, be done with it, and receive. Something's out, something's in. Receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. How does any person hear the message of salvation? They have to be meek. They have to say, you're right. I am a sinner. You're right. I can't please God. You're right. I deserve hell. That requires a posture of meekness, not weakness, meekness to receive with meekness the implanted word. Well, what would be the benefit in doing that? It's able to save your souls. Save your souls. We see there's a contentment in God's provision. We have a present peace right now. There's a contentment. We are centered on God's word. We're content in all that he has provided because we have no reason to doubt God's character when he's already given us everything in Christ. Let me ask you the question. What belongs to Jesus? Who's got the answer on this one? Everything. If you belong to Jesus, what then indirectly belongs to you by inheritance, not by something you bought, deserved, earned everything, everything. This brings contentment. Paul would write, 2 Corinthians 6.10, here's the apostle, the great apostle Paul. 
He, in case you didn't know, he actually didn't travel in 747's personal jets from speaking engagement to speaking engagement, right? I mean, the man was shipwrecked, prisoned. Listen to how he writes and the confidence that he has. 2 Corinthians 6.10, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having, uh, can I see your balance sheet there, Paul? Yeah, here it is. I've got nothing. Well, then what do you have, Paul? I actually possess everything. Wow. So why, why do we need to worry? What does this do to anxiety? What does this do to our fretting? And Jesus is here quoting Psalm 37. Psalm 37 deals repeatedly with fret, fret, fret. I'm fretting, I'm worried, I'm all worked up. And I'm, oh, and what am I gonna do? Wait on the Lord. Trust in the Lord. Commit your way to the Lord. Delight in the Lord. He will deliver you. He will deliver you. He will allow you to dwell in the land. He will give you what you cannot get for yourself. Trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. So the meek right now, we have a present peace, but we also, we will be given a future possession. Okay, this is good. One day soon, we don't know how soon, but one day soon we will inherit all that we cannot attain for ourselves. That's why Jesus says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit, they shall inherit the earth. Negatively stated, to not be meek means that you will completely miss the kingdom of heaven and you will miss the earth. You miss it all. That's why Jesus said, what, gain the world, lose your soul. What, what, do you, what will you exchange for your soul? This is an ultimate reversal of the curse in Genesis 3, that we have a future possession, that we will be with Christ. We have all things in Christ. This is Jesus' promise, and it is the ultimate vindication of the meek. R.T. France, he says it this way, God will give them, the meek, give them the high place they would not seize for themselves. J.C. Ryle, so eloquently, theologically termed, you know, okay, not really. He said, they are never losers in the long run. Just put that on the bottom shelf for us all. The world may regard believers as losers and worthless and not important and not impressive, but ultimately in the long run, never losers in the long run. Under Jesus, our King, saints will judge the world. We studied this in 1 Corinthians 6 2. You will judge the world. You're fighting in the church at Corinth? Why? You're parsing it out over a little of this and a little of that, and my seat and this, that, and the color and the whatever. What in the, you're going to join, you're going to rule the world, you're going to judge the world with Christ. Do you think you might let that weigh in on your interpersonal relationships? With Christ as our King, saints will reign forever, 2 Timothy 2.12. We will reign with him forever. Let that sink in. So we've seen the explanation, the examination, and the expectation of the meek. They're right there, plain, bottom shelf for all of us. So here's the question then. Here's our question. Are we meek? 
Are we meek? Is there evidence that you're a disciple of Jesus? Is there evidence in our lives that people around us say, I see meekness in you? Now, just think for a moment with me. Imagine a place, okay? Just imagine a place where people have been so greatly loved by their king that they actually treat their enemies with kindness and grace. Imagine a place where people have been so greatly loved by their king that with their relationships, there's a relentless mercy and longevity. Try to get that person to say, I'm done with you, and you just can't. Because they are so in love with their king, their vertical relationship is so right that horizontally they make peace with enemies. Imagine a place like this and how countercultural it would be. Now, beloved, let me say this to you. There is a place, and it's called the church. But if we're honest, we might say, well, pastor, I don't know that I've seen that absolutely predominant in our church or maybe any church that you've been in. To, to that degree, we are not hearing and heeding the message of our king. We still think, I'm king. And if I don't get my way, I will go somewhere else where they will. That's consumerism. It's not discipleship. Imagine a place. And then imagine how people watching those people so passionately filled with grace and mercy and love and long-suffering and people who don't know Christ look in and they see that kind of environment. And they would say, is there room for me in there? Can I worship your God with you? He's been so good to you. Is there room for me? Can I join? And the people of God, the citizens of God's kingdom would say, come on in. Come on in, there's plenty of room. Do we see meekness in our lives? What's your next step? What is your next step? Can we help you take that step today? As we prepare our hearts to receive communion this morning, beloved, we're remembering that the greatest of all was the meekest of all, and he laid down his life for sinners. And the cup and the bread are representative of his body that was broken and his blood that was shed so that we could not just be marked out for destruction, but in, invited, called, and brought in to redemption, adoption, sonship. Do we realize how good our God is? How good Jesus is? Then let's worship him. Let's stand together. Father, oh, do a work in our hearts. Change us, Lord, by your spirit. We confess to you. I confess to you, Lord. I have so far to go in being meek but I thank you that I can rest on you. I can fall on you and you will live out your life through me. And in the context of Christian community, brothers and sisters, and even a gentle giant that serves with me as an elder are all useful for your kingdom and for your glory and for the conversion of many people who will come to know Christ and worship him. Thank you for paying the penalty of our sin. 
Jesus' beautiful name we pray. Amen. Thank you again for listening to Teaching from the Word at Grace Community Church. We are located in Richmond, Michigan. You can find us online at mygracechurch.com. Please subscribe and follow us at My Grace Church. It would be greatly appreciated if you would take a moment to rate, like, and share this message. We want you to always remember that you are loved.